0: And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at With that being said, here's this week's teaching. I am Jeff. Uh, obviously, I'm not Kent. Um, I oversee our groups in discipleship here at City Church, so I, go, I don't get to teach very often, and um, it actually took me a while to actually figure this part out. So every time uh, in the last three years that we've been a, a church um, here in Knoxville, um, Every time that Kent asks me to teach, it's either on something that he really doesn't f- want to teach on, like on suffering or, or marriage, or he just goes on vacation. So when I, for some, like I said, I'm a slow learner. It took me about three years to figure that out. But when it finally dawned on me this week, I decided to, I, I should mess with him. So to do that, I'm going to show you guys the fun pictures of Kent. And this will be the last time I teach on Sundays. <laughs> uh, so today, all right, we're go, we're gonna we're we're on week two of our series on work, and today we're gonna talk a lot. Gosh, that is actually beautiful. We should just leave that up for the whole time. I love it. Are you picking your nose? Uh, <laughs> What we're we going to do, yeah, oh yeah, we're on week two of our work series, and last week Kent spent a lot of time talking about how work is actually part of God's design and creation in Genesis 1, and today we're going to actually spend a little bit of time talking about you actually need a calling when it comes to your work. So in my experience, uh, most of the content out there when, when, when we're kind of talking about work um, and faith, it tends to focus on being a missionary at work, how you can be on mission with your coworkers. Or it can be about how to handle frustrations and how to endure work. Or another one is how to have character at work, how to be a good worker who is, who has, who's got integrity, Well, which I think all of that is incredibly important, and we're actually going to touch on most of those throughout our series. However, I don't think there's enough teaching on how our work itself is actually part of God's calling on our lives. Our work itself, the tasks themselves matter to god and are things that he has said into the fabric of creation so last week when ken kind of opened up a series to teach about um your work is actually part of god's good intention for the world that our work is actually partnering with god to take the world someplace most of you guys just kind of stared at kent blankly I like just kind of like i don't know what you're talking about i don't know if you guys know this we actually also see you two up here like i can see your faces as much as you can see mine um, the words just didn't quite compute with your lived existence. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And we're going to start discuss. we're going to be discussing why we often feel that disconnect. That how my job, what I do right now, my work actually is part of God's design and how he's actually moving through my work to, to take the world somewhere. We're going to talk about God's calling on your life. So turn with me to Genesis 3.17. Genesis 3.17. And God said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Out of it you were taken for you are dust and dust you shall return. Curse pain, thorns, and thistles, sweat. And in this context, like, when God has cursed the ground, it's, it's not a spell or witchcraft. It's not like a Harry Potter thing happening right here. It, it actually means the consequences of sin are far more reaching and bring irreversible changes to the experience of life. In other words, cre- um, creation now pushes back against us when we try to cultivate it. What well, once, once was all joy, now is a mixed bag. There's still lots of good, but also lots of frustrations. Work is not only meaningful, it is also empty at times. That's the curse, thorns and thistles. Maybe you do enjoy your work, but the people there are disagreeable, or difficult, or create a difficult work environment or toxic work environment. Maybe it's your boss, your boss is awful. Maybe sometimes work is just not as fruitful as we would like it to be. Sometimes we don't accomplish all that we want in the way that we want. Work is just not satisfying. It is also frustrating. There are thorns, and thorns are incredibly annoying. Sometimes work is monotonous, and it's just repetitive. It seems like it's not going anywhere. The work that we're given does not always fit our particular dreams, our interests, our specific wirings or passion. It just doesn't fit. And all of us experience some amount of problems with our work. Some of us overwork. Some of us underwork. Just, uh, just for my sake, let's, I want to do a quick poll. Uh, raise your hand if, you, if your tendency is just to overwork. Like you just cannot stop working. Okay? What about underwork? Okay. Uh, I kind of toggle between the two. So maybe some of us is that. Like on Monday, like I care about it a lot. And on Tuesday, I'm like, Neh. Um. Some of us work too hard. Some of us find our identity in our work, and some of us abdicate responsibility altogether. We all, all of us approach work with wrong attitudes and motives. In the primary way, at least in my opinion, um, our society tries to deal with this reality is this, find the right job. I mean, we have kind of this similar approach when it comes to dating and marriage. Um, I just need to find the right one, this right person and then my soulmate and all, the, all my problems will go away. All my sin will go away. So we're theirs. So everything will be perfect. Uh, maybe you guys have heard of this saying before. Choose a job you love and you never have to work a day in your life. Just choose a job you love. You will never have to work a day in your life. We have this belief that if we just find the work that we love, like really, really love, then the work won't feel like work anymore and the burden of it will be gone the frustrations of it will be gone and the monotony of everything of it will be gone and google's search actually kind of affirms this trend since 2010 the internet search for passions at work have more than doubled and with workers in the united states most likely to be interested in this particular topic but here's the problem according to the bible there's no such thing as uncursed work it's kind of like a unicorn <laughs> It doesn't exist. I mean, I'm a big fan of unicorns. Horns, horse, I think that's kind of cool. You throw wings on it, it becomes like a Pegasus. It's kind of a cool thing. The issue is it's just not real. If you're looking for a job that will not be frustrating, where people do not sin, where you do not sin, where you never dread going to work or do the things that you're called to do, you're going to be looking for for a very long time. So then what's the solution? What's the solution to all this? If there's no such thing as uncursed work, Are we just doomed to always hate our jobs? Not exactly. And what I'm about to say, I think it's something that most of you will not agree with. Um, But I think you really need to wrestle with. It's just not gonna fit in how you've been taught um, to see the world and see yourself, and especially when it comes to your work. The teaching of the Bible is this. It is absolutely possible for you to put love into your work, even if you do not love your work. According to the Bible, it is absolutely possible for you as a follower of Jesus to put love into your work, even if you do not love your work. Your ability to do your work faithfully, heartily, and dare I say, happily with a smile on your face, has very little to do with what you do. Look at, uh, look, look at Colossians 3.22 with me. Colossians three. Twenty-two, and this is Paul writing. He says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Lord Christ. So this is the word to bondservants, who normally are indebted to somebody." Else and working for that person to pay off the debt. Now, real briefly, Paul is not condoning slavery here. The ancient Mediterranean system was vastly different than the African American slave trade. It was not based on ethnicity. It was was, usually was not for life, and most servants could accrue wealth for themselves. But still, even with all that, it's it's not exactly glamorous work. It's filled with mundane tasks. Sweeping the floors, washing the dishes, weeding the house around the garden, and very little, if any, control what you do or do not do each day. And Paul said to this group of people, work heartedly. And the Greek word heartedly is psyche, which in our current connotation, it means mind. That's kind of where we get the word psychology. Psychology. But that's not exactly what the Greek word means here. The Greek word is actually more of an all-encompassing term. In fact, elsewhere, it's translated as life and soul. It's about the essence of who you are. It can mean the breath of life in you. It's as in when you're breathing, you have life. It can mean the seat of your feelings, your desires, your affections, your fears. It's not your feelings it's where your feelings come from it's not where it's not your fears it's where your fears come from it's all of who you are your total essence and Paul says whatever you do work heartily work in a way that you put all of yourself your whole essence into it so this is the question how on earth can Paul say that to a servant's job I mean, is there any work that, that does not feel more like a cursed work of all like, jobs out there? But Paul says, whatever you do, give it your very best. But here's why. Even though Paul's talking about this, the work of our servants can be, at least from a distance, seems incredibly unfulfilling and, and honestly feel like a curse. Paul, Paul's saying, you can actually do this. Here's why. Because ultimately, it's not about the work you do. But instead, it's about who you do the work for. Because Paul says, whatever you do, give it your very best. Because you're not actually working for your human master. You're working for Jesus himself. What Paul just said is this. So long your work is done as an act of worship to God in service to others, it is able to be done with your full heart, even if it's work we do not necessarily like. So long your work is done as an act of worship to God and service to others, it is able to be done with your full heart, even if it's work we do not necessarily like. Here's a quote from Tim Keller, who's a pastor up in New York, and he says, we must recover the idea that all human work is not merely a job, but a calling. Our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. In fact, Thinking of work mainly as means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person and undermines society itself. Something can be a calling only if other party calls you to do it, and you do it for their sake rather than for your own. Our daily work can be a calling only if it is reconceived at God's assignment to serve others, and that is exactly how the Bible teaches us to view work. Part of the good news of Jesus' rescue and redemption of your life is that he rescues you from having the full weight of your hope rest in your career. The truest thing about you is not the job that you have, or even if you don't have, or even the one, the one that you ideally want. The truest thing about you is not the tasks that you do, the things you do with your hands. That, that's just not who you are. As a follower of Jesus, the truest thing about you is that you belong to him, and after Long after the days of your work have come and gone, you will still be his. So that means our work can stop being what it provides for us and instead becomes how how God is providing others through it. Our work can stop being what it provides for us. Instead, it becomes how God is providing others through it. Way too many of us go to work to serve ourselves. We're not looking to give and contribute um, something in our work. We're only looking to get something out of our work. It is possible in Jesus for you to give fully to your work with your whole heart if you actually believe that God and your neighbor are the ones you're serving. Giving yourself fully to your work, whatever that may be, ultimately is actually a faith issue, not a job issue. Paul says whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. So what you need is not necessarily a work you love, but work that you can put love into. You need to reimagine your work as a calling. You don't have to be passionate about your work to put love into it. You don't have to gain a sense of fulfillment to put love into your work. You don't always have to have upward mobility to put love into your work. You don't always have to be appreciated or recognized to put love into your work. Look, all those things are great. Those are actually all blessings, but they're not requirements. Here's another way to think about all of this. God intends to fulfill some of his promises and prayers through your work. Have you ever thought about it like that? For those of us who grew up in the church, and in the Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus say? Give us today our daily bread, literal bread. So, Have you ever thought about all the people that God is working through to fulfill that prayer, think about the wheat farmer, the baker, the packaging and delivery company, the per- the, the, um, the, store, like the, uh, the grocery store person stocking the bread onto the shelf, the gas station owner to make sure I have gas in my car, the car mechanic to just fix my car so I can get to the store, the Department of Transportation setting up lights so the ca- like, traffic's not complete chaos. And also we can go on and on and on. All of those are important. All the, God is working through all those people to answer the prayer, give us today our daily bread. All that matters, all that matters to God. I mean, how amazing is that? Every time you go into work each day, when you sit at the same old computer typing another string of numbers... Every time you make a, your child's um, lunch and cart them to school, every time you unplug the plumbing or, you know, you're managing technology or your company or approve another loan, you, you are actually, wor- like, allowing God to work through you and serve and care for the world he created. My, my wife and I, Cal, are in the middle of trying to sell our house, and through inspections we found there's a crack in the foundation wall. That's not my favorite news I've ever gotten from another human being. Um, and to me, what's, what's even more terrible is that I don't know how to fix a foundation crack. I, I don't even trust myself to hang up curtains in my house. I think like I'm what people call mechanically challenged. It's like kind of trying to watch a giraffe dance. It just, it's cute for a minute, and it gets awkward really quick. But here's the good news. There are people out there that knows how to do this. The structural engineer that can identify the problem, what caused the problem, and come up with a solution that can fix the problem. The general contractor that can take that same plan and actually accomplish it and fix it. And as I pray, God, please help me sell this house. God is working through those very people to answer that prayer. Because honestly, without them, I can't fix that. In fact, I won't be able to sell my house like Callie and I would just have to live in that house until it falls down. I was hanging out with another friend of mine, not so long ago, who makes tires who works in a tire factory. And he said he struggles to see any real meaning in his work. And I told him, imagine if you're driving down the highway with your family and the poorly made tire that's on your car blows out and you crash and all of you die. Do you start to see now your work actually has some meaning to it? And then come on, like a light bulb just went off for him. He's like, oh my gosh, what I do really matters after all. And all it took for him was to realize that his work is not about serving himself, it's about serving his neighbors. Here's how an author named Lester DeCoster talks about all this in a book called Work, The Meaning of Your Life. He says, the form in which we make ourselves useful to others and in which others make themselves useful to us is through work. He he uses this example, which I think is brilliant. He said, okay, imagine you get no help from anybody else in their work, and you have to have a chair. You have to make a chair. Currently, now, you know, if we need to get a chair, we just kind of hop in our car, we drive to Lowe's or wherever you want to go, buy a chair, pick it up, and bring it home, and it's done. Some of us are even more tech savvy in our, you know, sitting in our PJs. We can just pull our phone, get on Amazon, order a phone, take a poo, and it's out in our front door. I mean, that's how quickly it is these days. But imagine if you get no help from anybody else, and you have to make a chair. What do you do? I guess first is you need to find a tree, right? I guess you got to find a tree. That's where you start. And then you got to cut that tree down. But I don't have the tools to cut the tree down, so I guess I got to make that tool. And I don't know how long that's going to take. Maybe three weeks. And then I cut the tree down, and I have to figure out how to haul that tree to somewhere where... We can turn that tree into little parts to turn into a chair. And then I guess I also had to make even more tools on top of that. How long is it going to take for you to make one chair? Like your whole life, I think. Like on your deathbed, you're like, you know, you're surrounded by your families and friends sitting on that one chair. You guys are like, guys, I did it. I made this one chair for, for us. And then that's it. The author says it like this, Civilized life quickly melts away when people stop doing their work. Food vanishes from shelves, gas uh, gas dries up at pumps, streets are no longer maintained, fires burn themselves out, communication, transportation, services, end. utilities go dead. Those who survive at all soon huddle around campfires, sleeping in caves, covered in animal hides, and the difference between wilderness and culture is simply work. You pass God's blessings onto people who know him and others who don't in through your work. In your work, you're called to it. God has called you to it. It's actually part of your ministry. In ministry, it just, the word just means service. It's, it's the role that you play in creation. For a garden-like world, we are all in ministry. We can do it inside the church building or outside. It's irrelevant, but God has called all of us to ministry a service to others. And God intends we as his people to do it. So we need to reimagine your, our work as a calling, as of mission of service to other people to take the world to somewhere and bless them. So my simple point is this. Even if you absolutely despise whatever you do, even if you don't have much inherent passion for your work, it is still possible for you to put love into it. That's the ability that Jesus has given us as his followers. Now that being said, that doesn't mean it is wrong to occasionally look for a work that's more of a natural fit for you. And I know a lot of y'all in here are that's kind of the season that you might be in, trying to find work that's more of a natural fit for you, and that's okay. So I, my only caution is, as long as you're not trying to convince yourself in looking for this new work, that, you're convi- that you, your, your full joy is dependent on this new work. That being said, I, I do want to kind of give us some, like, um, some tips and kind of how do we navigate through this as we're, if you're kind of in a season of trying to find a new work um, to figure these things out. Because the reality is this, like, as 21st century Americans, we're given a lot of choices, and that's a blessing, which is actually really incredible that we get, we get to have different options to us as we go about picking what our work looks like. So I'm going to give you guys three things. So think of this as a prayer guide as you kind of work through this. The first one is passions. Passions. Most people start here and kind of make it the most important thing. Um, if not, that's the only question to ask. What are you passionate about? Um, but that's wrong. It does matter. I think it does matter some. Um, but honestly, I think we need to realize asking this question is a luxury that most of the world do not have. If you're born in certain parts of the world, you don't think about what you're doing as something that you you love. You think about you need to do whatever it takes to just survive. If you live in the Great Depression, you're not going to find anyone talking about, I need to find a job I'm passionate about. You're going to be skipping to work, whistling and thanking God. Thank you for providing me a job so my family can survive. The factor... The ability to factor passion in picking what you do is a privilege, and most people in human history don't get to think like that. If you lived 1,000 years ago, you're a hunter or gatherer. If you're good at it, you get to live. If you're bad at it, not really. You don't get to live. But in the West, because, we, because some of us have access to incredible health and standard, uh, wealth and um, quality of life compared to other parts of the world, some of us have the chance to consider our personal passions and potentially make a living through them. And that's worth considering, honestly. So what are you passionate about? What energizes you? What keeps you up at night? What makes you angry? What do you love to talk about? If you don't need the money, what would you do? And I don't mean watching TV. I mean after you get bored with that. What would you want to do? But in all of that, you need to make sure these are not necessary conditions for you to be content and put your whole heart into your work. Paul was in jail when he said he has learned the secret to contentment, regardless of circumstances. He was put in jail for doing his work. And he said, through Christ who gives me strength. At some point, we might need need to be just thankful for the job that we do have. And that Jesus is with us no matter what we do. And what he called life to the fullest, quote, is not dependent on us having our dream job. Not at all. Which is great, because since there are billions and billions of humans right now, that are going to work simply as a means to survive. So that's the first one, passions. The second one is abilities. Abilities. I was brought up in a culture that essentially said, Jeff, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. If you work hard enough, if you're patient enough, um, if you try harder, if you believe in yourself enough, you can do anything. This is actually such an incredible middle-class American way to think. Honestly, nobody else in developing countries will ever talk like that because it's simply not true. Look, I can believe in myself all I want. I am five foot ten, two hundred and sixty pounds. I have a jump vertical of maybe eighteen inches. No NBA team is ever going to call me. Uh, I don't think any church league is going to call me, and I'm a pastor. God did not make me to be Yao Ming. God made me to be Jeff. That's just the reality. I cannot be anything I want to be. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much I believe in myself, God has wired each of us differently and give us different capacities at different things. So don't buck against that. To buck against that is to buck against God. If empathy and listening is something you struggle with, Maybe being a clinical counselor is just not in the cards for you. If you don't have rhythm, you cannot be a drummer. That's just not possible. I don't care how hard you try, it's not going to happen. If you do have rhythm and you can play drums, we are actually looking for drummers to serve us on Sundays. (laughs) That's a shameless plug. Marcus told me I have to say that, so. But... Learning what you are good at is a valuable pursuit. It really is, and it's something to be considered. What can you do and what can you not do? And I will honestly invite other people to give you feedback on it, and, and not just your mom. Your mom loves you. She thinks you're great. She thinks you're awesome, but I would invite more than just your mom's feedback on this. I'm trying to discern your abilities. And get people to yeah, give other people to, a view into your life and give them permission to give you input on it. Because your identity and the essence of who you are is not based on your ability. So you should be able to receive positive affirmations and criticism when you try new things. If not, that's an identity problem. So failure is fine. Try something. Give it a shot to see if you're good at it. And see if other people respond in a way where they affirm and say, you know what? I think God has given you some strength here. You should, give you should try some more. All right, the last thing we want to look at is needs. Needs. If God intended our work to be a service to others, then the logical question we need to ask is, is there a need in what I want to do? Is there a need for my work? I mean, you might really, really want to start a mobile traveling cotton candy food truck. But Knoxville may not have this insensate need for a mobile traveling cotton candy food truck. We need to ask the question, is there a need? Because work is not about us. It's about our neighbors. Do they need this? Are there people needing what I want to do where they will pay me real American dollars? Which of my abilities can afford me an opportunity to earn a living? When am I good enough that someone will pay me to do it? I mean, that's the kind of the difference between a an hobby and a job, Right? Hobby is something that you enjoy doing, but nobody enjoy it enough to pay you for it? <laughs> and answering this question is incredibly important. What do people around me need? And when you answer this question truthfully, I hope to guard you against making work all about you and what you can get out of it, and instead make work more about how God intended it to be a service to him and other people. Now, when you consider your passions, your abilities and needs... You need to run through all three of those through God's wisdom, through God's wisdom. And honestly, as a pastor, that's the thing that I think people most often overlook. And when I say wisdom, I mean, are you seeking God's wisdom through his word? Are you seeking God's wisdom through his spirit? Are you seeking God's wisdom through his people? God give us his word, the Bible as a way for us to understand who he is and who we are and how he designed life to be. God, give us a spirit so we can interact with them to discern and pray and figure out what are our motivations and what we're trying to do. God, give us his people who happen to be also filled with the spirit to come alongside of us, to have a view into our lives, to affirm where he has gifted us, where he has not, and help us to pray and encourage and help us discern our motivations in trying to figure all this out. Those are all the tools that God has given us to try to work through this. So we want to run our passion through God's wisdom. Is the work you want to do good work or is it bad work? I mean, our whole sermon last week said that God wants us to cultivate the earth, to take what is potential and make it actual. God wants us to subdue the earth, to take care of it. So you need to consider with your work, does it fit into God's concern and design for the world? Does it contribute to human flourishing? Is it good for you? Is it good for other people? Is it good for the earth? Some work is bad work, and you should not participate in it. Some work objectifies other people. Some work manipulates and coerces other people. Some work takes advantage of people, especially poor people. Some work is not good work. Some work contributes to materialism and catalyze wastefulness or sexual objectification of other human beings and lead people to gratify disordered desires. You need to figure out, is the work I'm considering good work? Does it move the world where God intends for it to go? And that's mandatory. We need to run our abilities through God's wisdom. want to pray and ask, can I actually do what I want to do? Has God wired me in this way? Do I have the means to do this? And this is seeking God's spirit and his people. It's going to be super helpful. Talk to other followers of Jesus that you know and have a view into your life. If you just had a kid, that's going to factor into how you're thinking about going about picking your work. You can, if you cannot go six months without an income, maybe the entrepreneur, entrepreneur lane is not kind of for you right now. And then lastly, we want to run the question, is there a need through God's wisdom? Am I actually meeting a need and serving others, or am I meeting a need that I have within me? Am I more concerned about my self-fulfillment, my self-realization, or am I really doing this to love and serve my neighbors? If I never get thanked or recognized for my work will I still do it? Am I making work about me? Or am I making my work about others and serving them? And notice when I say this part then I'm saying needs and not opportunities. For some reason within the Christian circle we, we, we kind of come to this belief that only God can open and close doors. I kind of hate to debunk that but Satan can also open and close doors. For some reason, we have this image of Satan like, ooh, I'm a snake. I'm a slithering snake. There's a door. Ah. I don't know how we arrive there. Just because a door is open, just because there's an opportunity, it does not mean you should automatically take it. It could mean that God opened it. It could mean Satan opened it. It could also mean it's just an open door. We need to rely on God's wisdom in all of this to kind of navigate through it. I'm going to let you guys in on a secret. There are aspects of my job that I actually don't enjoy. Like, we have interpersonal conflicts at work, and I work with professional Christians. (laughs) And not only that, like, um, take this building for an example. Now, don't get me wrong, this building was a beautiful gift that God has given our church, and that's incredible, and I will be thankful for that. But there are tons of things that breaks throughout the week that I have to take care of. I have to be on the phone with contractors, set up appointments, and then write checks to pay for that. That's not my favorite thing. There are definitely other aspects of ministry that I would much rather do, and I'll die a happy man if I never have to call a contractor again. And I love contractors. I just don't want to deal with it. When I told God, I, um, when I graduated school, that I'll go anywhere He wanted me to go. Just so long it's not as Col- it's not Columbia, South Carolina, where I grew up. And then I stayed there for 10 years. <laughs> God kept me out in Columbia, South Carolina, um, had me at part of this church plant, and I was there for 10 years, and I got, got trained up, and eventually I was part of the team that got sent out to plant this church. So all of this. I'm trying to say is we have to have an open hand allowing God to change our plans and let him lead you whether you like it or not. Sometimes we don't analyze it. Sometimes we just follow God as an act of obedience. So in light of those categories, and ask the question, how can I be the greatest service to other people? As long as your job is primarily about your money and what you can get out of it and your personal fulfillment, you will always sputter but when you begin to ask the question how can you uniquely best serve other people you're actually onto how you're wired to think because ideally we want to find something that fits perfectly in all three circles right but do you notice how tiny that little spot is most of us won't be there and that's okay that's fine you actually may be exactly where God has called you to be because being in the center of that is not the requirement for you to put love into your work. God, didn't, God actually did not design it for it to be like that. It still means you can give yourself fully, your total self, your full essence into your work. Tim Keller says it like this. Just because you cannot realize your highest aspirations in work does not mean you have chosen wrongly or not called to your profession. Or that you should spend your life looking for the perfect career that is devoid of frustration. That will be a fruitless search for anyone. You should expect to be regularly frustrated in your work even though you may be in exactly the right vocation. As you do this, put love into your work because you start to see this is a calling God has for you in serving him and your neighbors. In a small way, in doing all this, this is actually a reflection of the heart of Jesus. As you do this for others, as you're serving other people, That is actually a small reflection of the cross. When Jesus went to the cross on my behalf, on your behalf, he did it for us to serve us and not himself. So as followers of Jesus, as we continue to grow and follow after him, the arena of life, that is our work, should start to look a lot more like the heart of Jesus. That is to see our work in service to God and our neighbors and not ourselves. And here's the application for all of us. Put your heart into your work. See your work as a calling that God has for you. One of the saddest realizations um, in my adult life is how many people are just terrible at their jobs. I was counting on them to do a good job. Dorothy Sayers say it like this. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and come to church on Sundays. But what the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Martin Luther King Jr. said something similar, and he puts it like this, if it, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets so, that, so well that the host of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Your work, whatever it is, is a calling to serve God by serving your neighbors. And we need you. We need you out there. We need the work that you have to offer. We're all counting on you out there. So see your work as a calling and put your heart into it. If all of us only did job jobs that were perfectly personally fulfilling to us, if all of us only just look for a job that feels, make us feel significant, we'll all starve to death. Nobody will have the resources they needed. Not to mention, all of us will probably quit after two weeks because that's about how long it takes for us to be dissatisfied with whatever we do. So in order for the world to flourish and thrive, we're all going to need to figure out a way to put love into our work, regardless how much we inherently love our work. So when you see your work as a calling, as a way of glorifying God by serving your neighbors, you are able to put love into it. And when you begin to work for God and others and not just yourself, there's going to be a motive for you to do good work, to want to put in good work and put in good effort. So whatever you do, put your whole heart into it because you're serving Jesus himself. Let's pray.